Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Female Driven Podcast. We are three film and television writers who are here to talk about how to make it as professional writers in the entertainment industry. This podcast covers what we wish we'd known when we were getting started. You can learn the easy way what we learned the hard way. I'm Jess Cho. I mostly write for television. I'm Hannah Rosner. I also mostly write for television. And I'm Erica Schreiber. I mostly write tractor repair manuals, <laughs> but also features. So today's episode is really special. We have an amazing guest with us named Erin Cancino. She is here to talk to us about making the leap from support staff to staff writer, which is like the biggest, coolest leap ever. So Erin Cancino is from Tampa, Florida, and attended Florida State University's film school. She spent six years working for Shondaland, assisting Shonda Rhimes and supporting shows such as Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, and Bridgerton. She last worked as a staff writer on Hawkeye for Marvel and Disney+. Well done, Erin. Thank Woo-hoo. you. <laughs> <laughs> We're super excited to to have you here, and not not just because we want to hear all about Bridgerton, which we're all three obsessed with, <laughs> but <laughs> your journey is really cool. So I wanted to start where you started, Erin, and ask, um, you know, how you got your first couple jobs. Like, how did you get your very first uh, entertainment industry job? I came out and did a couple of internships, and then my first job was as an assistant for like a brand new producer. He had been a development exec for Working Title, and he was branching out on his own and I worked out of his house because he had just just set up his like home office and he had worked on like movies that I loved and he was really insightful and he helped me to read scripts better and I think I really learned a lot from him. One of the things was that I didn't want to be a producer like I originally thought that I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you get connected to him, though? Was it like a, a listing or did someone introduce you? Yeah, or? I think it was the UTA job list, just a cold. I was applying to everything and anything. For those of you who don't know the UTA job list, UTA, the agency, uh, for some reason, produces a list full of jobs, lots of assistance stuff, lots of internships, but higher level stuff, too. And uh, it's a good resource, though, as Aaron pointed out, like a lot of people can apply to it and you're often applying cold. So from there, how did you end up getting your first job at Shondaland, right? Which I believe was as Shonda's assistant. Yeah, I started as Shonda's personal assistant. I saw, I, I think it was honestly the UTA job list again. I saw like just an assistant for an exec at Shondaland and I sent my resume in and uh, I knew I had a friend there. And so I said, hey, I sent my resume in like if you know who's doing the hiring, like, could you put in a good word for me? And my friend was like, I'm doing the hiring. Oh, (laughs) I love that. That's amazing. What I found out was they were looking for a personal assistant or Shonda. And I had luckily just had this like random temp experience that made me qualified because they wanted somebody who wanted to work in TV and I got it. Just goes to show how, you know, like random little jobs that you take, like temping or working for a personal assistant, you're like, oh, this isn't going to be forever. It'll lead somewhere, uh, hopefully. And, you know, you never know where it's going to lead. But it sounds like that, you know, this was turned out to be a stepping stone. But basically, like, I was a little lost after realizing I didn't want to be a producer anymore. And so being a personal assistant and still sort of in the business, but it gave me the space to sort of like take a step back and think about what I wanted to do. And apparently, I really needed that time because I had never thought about being a TV writer. Um, It was such a lofty goal and rather intimidating for me, I think, to admit that I wanted to write. But 
after working for Shondaland and being around the writers and seeing it as a a job full of normal good people instead of like <laughs> crazy writers. <laughs> I mean, I think we have that <laughs> that like uh, stereotype of like the person isolated behind their typewriter, chain smoking, and yeah, that's just that's just us feature writers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such an old cliche, but I think it's uh, it was really like deeply ingrained in me and uh and just seeing them be normal and and work at like a job and be like good to each other and and how they work together how writers rooms are so collaborative it was all really inspiring and it and it made me realize I wanted to write for tv so once you had made that decision I assume you were like I would like to be a part of a writer's room right so in terms of moving from Shonda's desk uh, or being Shonda's assistant to your first uh, writer's assistant job, which I believe is on Scandal, right? Yes, it was. How did you How did you push to make that move? How did you advocate for yourself or did you need to advocate for yourself? I did, but I was also told to advocate for myself, which is helpful. <laughs> Shonda was always very um, upfront about, you know, like a, the, the culture at Shonda Land is a culture of promotion from within and she would sort of like every now and then take any of her assistants pulse about like what they wanted, uh, where they saw this stuff going and, um, you know, what could be done to, to help them. And for a long time, that was just like, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. But then after I decided to, to start writing and had reconcile that <laughs> in my own mind. So um, on Scandal, uh, a writer's assistant position became open. How it worked at Shondaland, at Scandal at least, the writer's assistant would bump up to researcher and the researcher was staffed. Um, and so a bunch of the assistants were allowed to submit a sample and uh, they read a whole group of the assistants and then uh, out of that pile, they they hired the next writer's assistant. That did not happen for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was already like, okay. <laughs> it was not that that quick a jump, but it did get me read um, by a, like a couple of the writers and Shonda, and she was incredibly supportive. And she was like, "You are a writer. You should be working towards this." Didn't get the writer's assistant position, but she kind of created a position for me, and we called it uh, her creative assistant where I became uh, a kind of like a body man and uh, I would go to the room with her. I would go to post with her. I would help her track her development stuff. So it was all of the more creative parts of her job I was tracking as opposed to before I had been doing all of the personal stuff. Now I was helping with, with her creative slate, I guess you could say. That's really cool. And you had, you had the right sample ready at the right moment, which is something we talk about a lot and how being ready with your script uh, when the moment that your Shonda or mentor or whoever asks for it can get you really far. And that's really cool to see how that played out. Yeah, it's super important. And then um, I did that for like a year or so. And then again, the, the desk became open again, like the next season. I was read again and got it. <laughs> and so I was writer's assistant for the last two seasons. And it was incredible it, it's as much as uh, as much access as I got being Shonda's assistant being in the room is completely different and such a 
such a huge education. What do you think would be like, if you go back and speak to your younger self, what, when you were just about to enter the writer's room after being Shauna's assistant, what would be the main piece of advice you'd give yourself, do you think? This is something I like to tell any person that I know that is going to be a writer's assistant or any of the support staff that has access to the writer's room, which is don't be intimidated. Like <laughs> When I went in, it was so intimidating and it is a hard job and it is a sought after job, but it is also a very doable job. Like if you can type and you can listen and you understand story and you're not an annoying person. <laughs> <laughs> so important. You can do it. So I would say like, don't be afraid to put yourself up for that step. I think I was really intimidated uh, to even think about wanting that job, let alone like when I actually got it. I think that when we want something so badly, it, it is scary once you actually get it and and it's okay to be scared as long as you don't let it hold you back feel your feelings they are valid and then keep going yeah we provide a lot of therapy (laughs) yeah to ourselves and to others (laughs) i mean of course there's like tons of like practical advice you know but in my case i had been assisting for a long time so i knew how to do the assisting thing and it was just sort of like pushing myself out there first of all shonda sounds so amazing i mean i think i I hold her in very high regard as a creator, but now hearing what she's like as a boss, having a boss who sort of mentors you or or at least even just takes interest in in your career aspirations and is looking to promote from within is actually kind of rare, at least in my experience. And so that's so awesome that you had that experience and that you had that relationship with her. I'm curious what were some of the benefits of that initial job you had working for her of being her creative assistant, what were some of the key sort of takeaways that you got in that position that you were able to bring with you that, you know, sort of served you in your job as writer's assistant later, and then eventually as a writer yourself? It was a, I think a a really exceptional view into like all of the different aspects of making a TV show because she does keep herself involved in in a lot of different levels. <laughs> so, you know, you get to see uh, her as a writer and as a producer. And I, you know, I got to do post with her and see how uh, a writer looks at the editing process. So it is a very... Um, a holistic approach. Yeah. Every part of the buffalo, like, <laughs> experience, you know, like when you're in the room, you're only in the room and you don't have to think about uh, a lot of the other aspects of producing TV. That was a view into the whole beast. When you work for someone like that, that is just this super successful mega showrunner and they're just living the dream. They've got all these shows. They're calling the shots. They're so powerful. It's awesome. Are you ever just like, wow, do I really want that life? Like being a showrunner, <laughs> man? Like these, how do these people sleep? I personally, you know, I work, I worked with Julie Pleck and, you know, I'm just like, how does this woman have time to do anything other than work, but yet seems to have just like boundless creative energy. Yeah. I mean, like they don't sleep is one thing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know how much assisting uh, you guys have done, but I definitely, you know, like Shonda used her support staff. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's where you free up the energy to be creative. And uh, I mean, like she used every part of her team from like her, executive producers and uh, the execs at Shondaland, uh, all the way down to the writers. She tried to give everybody as much freedom and encouragement and utilize them as much so that she could 
do her job as to her best abilities. So it sounds like being a master delegator is going to get you far. I don't think it's crazy to say that that all four of us probably hope to showrun someday. I mean, I I want to. And I, it's like, I think it's almost the same thing as I was just saying about becoming a writer's assistant and being in wanting it really badly and then being scared to actually get it. Like that does sound terrifying. And I've, I've never worked for someone like Shonda. I've done some assisting, but it seems like the people who succeed the most are the people who know they can't do everything and make sure they hire or are working with people who can pick up the slack and handle the things that you know, don't need to be handled at her level. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, empowering other people to do their best work allows you to do your best work. You were the writer's assistant on Scandal. And then Bridgerton came along and you became the researcher on that show. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Chris Van Dusen, the showrunner for Bridgerton, was a Scandal writer. And when they were starting the room for Bridgerton, they asked if I would be interested in doing the writer's assistant job again. And uh, I had just been offered a different job so I um I had to decline but then they said would you like to do the researcher which was a promotion <laughs> and so I said yes please nice and could you describe to us what exactly a researcher job entails well I'm sure it's different for every show but the way we used it on Bridgerton and similar to the way we used it on Scandal is that anything that the writers are interested in I look into and then Jumping off of like the topics of conversation that came up in the room or, you know, research materials or source materials, you know, you look for topics of interest and provide like research documents, short, interesting, um, culled from the internet or books or other sources. And then I send it to the writers for them to be inspired and learn a little bit about the subject. Probably helped that you had read the books. Yes. I remember Erin and I had coffee uh, right around this time. And I remember how shocked you were that I had also read the books. <laughs> <laughs> we had a whole like, coffee about that. But yeah, I think for a show that has as much world building as Bridgerton does, that must be, there's probably a lot of, a lot of stuff that you were able to bring to them. There is a lot of research about the time. I mean, like uh, people I think are pretty interested in, in Regency England because of, you know, Jane Austen and, and all sorts of other great books and stuff that are set during that time period. So it was easy to find lots and lots and lots of interesting things. And we also had a historian, John Mullen. He was a professor of English literature and an actual lord. <laughs> no. Is he single? <laughs> Oh, my God. And he was incredibly helpful and knowledgeable. And so, like, it was definitely a give and take with the researcher because they tell you, hey, we're interested in this. They'd be like, hey, we need to learn more stuff about the queen uh, and the king. And sometimes it would be like, hey, we want to learn more about boxing. Like, what was boxing really like? (laughs) We all appreciate you looking into that. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're deep in the Google rabbit hole and you find something else and you're like I think they might want to know about you know the fact that they did a lot of gambling or you know like different areas and then you get to share whatever little tidbits that you find interesting as well. Is it sort of a backdoor into like coming to the writers with pitches in a way I mean not directly like hey I have an idea but like hey I was looking into you know boxing and how big it was and like were you able to sort of also make a mark as as a creative you know, as a writer. Yeah, that's definitely why uh, I think I think of a researcher as a a promotion and like a a closer uh, step to to being looked at as a writer in the room, you know, because you are allowed to share 
the things that interest you. And it is a backdoor into like pitching, not direct pitching, of course. And I'm not saying that I came up with the boxing thing because I actually remember who did uh, pitch looking into the boxers. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I and mean, that, that's why being a researcher is such a, a cool position in a room. And I, the way that I did it on Bridgerton, at least, was I sent out two emails uh, a day and one was short and it would be like the oddity, you know, like the one, the thing that I was interested in or, you know, something from the room that they mentioned and it was short and sweet. And then I would send another email towards the end of the day, sort of like homework. <laughs> that was a deeper dive into you know, stuff we discussed or stuff that was going on in the show. That way, you know, you get to have a little fun with your education. <laughs> yeah, no, you learn, you learn and have fun. This is so helpful, Erin, because like I've never worked on a show with a researcher on it. And now I never want to work on a show without a researcher on it. But, you know, when we've covered support staff in previous episodes, this is something that we didn't cover. So thank you for bringing it to life and letting people know that that's a possibility. I honestly loved it. Like, I, I think it's a really great position. And I think it, I hope it's not flattering myself to say, I think it's really helpful for the writers, you know, like, just to keep yourself, keep them immersed in the world that they're creating. They did a lot of independent research on their own too, of course, but you know, like just a little newsletter every day. I mean, who doesn't love a newsletter? <laughs> no, it's great. And it's so easy as a writer to get bogged down in that kind of stuff. Like I have certainly derailed a whole day of writing because I wanted to do a deep dive into how NATO worked. And I ended up not using like any of it or using like one line. <laughs> And like, it's a, it can be a form of procrastination <laughs> for sure. But for a show that, you know, takes place in such a different era with such specific rules, it must have really helped them keep going to have someone they could ask for stuff or who was just providing it. It just made me think like, it is good to have somebody who can do your Googling for you, but also who keeps you from Googling too, yeah. too Yes, <laughs> exactly. Do you have like any tips for you know, anyone who wants, who, you know, is thinking about doing a job like that, I, I imagine it's more than just copy and pasting from Wikipedia. I, I, I say that I know it's very different from that. I, I utilize a lot of copy and pasting. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you have to include sort of like a broad catch all, you know, like information of a lot of these topics, but similar to showing your skills as a writer is showing as a researcher what you find interesting. You know what I mean? And so I think that that's a way that you can show your own creativity and your own sensibilities is if you are really looking into these topics and finding out what you think is interesting that is below the surface that is not the most obvious thing and that's a way to show yourself as like a creative thinker and as a writer to the other people in the room we have to take a tangent here yes we do we, <laughs> we're dying to ask you a couple specific questions about Bridgerton so if you don't mind indulging us just for a little bit and then we'll we'll talk about making the jump from support staff specifically from researcher to staff writer but what was the room like what were the other writers like our, our, our new heroes they are my heroes as well it was an amazing group of writers and just generally like really 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 good people and they were fans of the book like when I got the job I, I think probably when we were having that coffee I was like I wonder how much of this is because I have read the books and like they want somebody that knows everything um, about them and then I got to the room and found out half of the writers were big fans <laughs> and they knew the books as well if not better than I did and I was like oh no I shall have nothing to contribute <laughs> But we had a, a really, really great room. And I think because, you know, because of Shondaland and because of 
Netflix, you know, they got to have like a real dream room, you know, it was uh, top heavy. We had three um, co-execs and that's not including the showrunner EP. They all brought like their own individual strengths. You know, we had, uh, they were such a good group and I think it really comes across how much they cared about the show and cared about making something fun and cool and interesting and and you've told me that they were very supportive of you as an an up-and-coming writer yeah you know um a couple of them had come up similarly through support staff channels and so i think that they had the experience of understanding you know that the the people supporting your shows might have something to offer you know so like even chris you know he came up through shondaland and you know, is promoted from writing Scandal to showrunning Bridgerton. And so I think, you know, it's definitely a group of people that understood that you are more than just the job you're holding right this second. And they encouraged myself and the other, the writer's assistant and the other assistants on the show. And they never treated us like uh, we were invisible or just for, you know, buying snacks. They listened and they asked questions. And as the show went on, I I was encouraged more and more. Like, I think they liked the research emails. And so I was allowed to contribute more and more as the show went on. That's amazing. That probably really helped build your confidence for when you actually became a, a staff writer, I imagine. Hannah, we're talking yeah, about on. Bridgerton. Yeah, yeah, hang on a minute. We can't go so fast. <laughs> this is really important. Um, Don't take this away from us. <laughs> Yeah, speaking on the Bridgerton thing, I'm just so curious. Did you guys know that you were creating something that would catch on so hard? Like, has it been really fun to see the public reaction? Speaking for myself, you know, like I watched these writers who I think are incredible and did such, such amazing work. It would be hard for me to think that it wasn't going to be a great show and that people weren't going to love it. And I think that they were all really enthused about the idea. And like I said, you know, a bunch of them were fans of the books. So I think that they did probably feel like they could see how this is could catch on i knew like when i was seeing the scripts i was like this can only be good it's also groundbreaking in the sense that it's the first shondaland show for netflix so i think combining that with creating something so fun and so unapologetically like for women uh who clearly i mean like i I imagine all around town people network heads are like oh shit i didn't realize women were that thirsty (laughs) (laughs) i think it was Definitely a case of like, this is what we think is going to be fun. And that's what we're going to care about, like writing something that we think is going to be great and then hoping everybody else likes it as much. And they were right. They had that. They had their finger on the right pulse. All right. I'm going to ask this last question because I'm pretty sure that Jess and Hannah are going to make me own it. (laughs) Which is, (laughs) did the writers discuss how to make the Duke as sexy as he is? Because well done. (laughs) (laughs) Or or did the writers have nothing to do with it? And it's just that that guy is so incredibly hot. Yeah. Like maybe they didn't even write him any lines and he just showed up, you know, dressed like that at the audition, I assume. He does make it look so easy and effortless. (laughs) No, but seriously, like even when I was watching it and um, I was like, my goodness, just <laughs> what a smoke show. And then I was like, did he do that or did they come up with that? Like, because that is incredibly sexy. And I remember uh, one of the things I was like, no, I I remember that from the script. Like they wrote that and he makes it look like he just came up with it. And they're all just in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's definitely like both. They, they wrote it. They knew that, that the Duke was going to be sexy, but my God, does he embody it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we should come back to 
what we're here to talk about, <laughs> which is specifically making the jump from support staff to staff writer, which is something that I feel like almost every support staff person is trying to make happen. And kudos to you for doing it. I believe he made the jump specifically from researcher on Bridgerton to becoming a staff writer on Hawkeye, right? That's right. So um, like I said, I had worked for Shondaland for a long time and was excited to to do Bridgerton and get the, the promotion to being researcher. And, you know, like anybody with ambitions, you know, you're hoping that by showing how hard you can work and, you know, like that you're creatively aligned with the show that you'll be considered for the next season or for something else, you know, by the, the company or by the writers. And so I, that was something that I had really hoped like at that I would maybe be considered for the second season of Bridgerton. I don't know what's going on, but one of the writers did go on to do the Hawkeye show for Marvel. And based on the contributions that I made in the room, and I think, you know, the the work ethic that I displayed, uh, he brought me in for that. And so I was read and interviewed and staffed on Hawkeye. And it's one of those things where it's like, you think you're only interviewing for one job, but remember that if you're working with good people, then they could go on to do anything and then they can help you too. That's really great. Did, did the writer go on to be the showrunner? Yes, the showrunner. You mentioned the work ethic that sort of uh, made you stand out. Were there any other skills you'd learned as a support staff that helped you get that job? And how did they help you do the job once you got it? Because Bridgerton was so nurturing, you know, I think that that put me at ease in the room at a faster pace than people who are just sort of thrown in as a, a staff writer and have never been in a room. So that was something that I found incredibly valuable going into being a staff writer, that I didn't have to be completely terrified of never having been in a room before. But also, you know, like when you get to be in the room, you get to observe the rhythm and the flow of the room. So you know when to talk, when not to talk, and the sort of etiquette, you know, that goes into the room. Uh, Bridgerton, of course, had very good room etiquette, so (laughs) it was a very good lesson. And I think those are all skills that are really helpful. I found that researching in and of itself was really helpful. Like I took that same approach on Hawkeye and did as much research on the, the comics and the characters as I could. But also like anything that we talked about in the room, you take notes, you go, you do your own independent research, you keep thinking um, on your off hours and you keep coming up with ideas that you can bring into the room the next day. You work in the room, but you don't stop working in the room. You, <laughs> uh, And that's sort of very much like the way that I worked as an assistant and as a researcher. Just keep doing your work. It's what you learn when you get the opportunity to work in a writer's room as support staff is so much more than just seeing the creative process and learning, you know, how to break story. Of course, all that is incredibly valuable, but you're also learning you know, some of the things you mentioned, uh, room etiquette, when and how to pitch, how to give feedback, like all those things that you really, you can't learn in film school. You, you can't learn reading about it online. You might be able to learn it, you know, listening to a podcast, but it's really that hands-on in the room experience that, you know, you get that's so valuable. So do you have any final parting words of wisdom for anyone who is at support staff level and is, you know, really just trying to make that jump? It's hard because so many of the advantages I have that came from being surrounded by really great people, not to make this therapy, but like I I always think about the stuff like I was so lucky that 
you know, I worked for these people who saw something in me. And it's, it's weird to think about, like, how could I advise somebody to just be in the right place at the right time? I mean, it's just like, you, you will find yourself, hopefully one day surrounded by the right people at the right time. And it's just about, again, I, I think I said it before, but putting yourself out there, it's, it's that, that perfect uh, mix of make sure you're ready. You know what I mean? Like I had had a lot of jobs. I had a script. It's it's old advice, but yes, have your script ready. Be ready to take the opportunity. You know, you're only in control of so much stuff. So you have to have your script ready. You have to pay attention and do a good job and hope that, that somebody sees something in you. And then when it's there, just jump at it. Even if, uh, even if it's a surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways you can say it, but being ready is that is something you have control over. And you were ready. You had your sample, you had your relationships, and you had done really good work. You were the best damn researcher <laughs> <laughs> that you could be, and you also had your script ready to go. And I think sometimes people, you know, like it comes down to those things that you can control and then the factor that you can't control, which is the opportunity. I've realized it's sort of similar to my other realization, like when I realized I wanted to be a writer and because the writers were all people like that is definitely the energy that I had in the Bridgerton room too. like everybody was so great on a human level that I think it was easier to show who I was as a person, like as a writer and to just talk to them as human beings. And so that uh, freed up like suggesting things or pitching things and also being comfortable talking about the show and talking about things as a writer not always like having to take that step back to being an assistant or being support staff if you let people see what you have to contribute then they'll know like people don't know that you're ready unless you show them that you're ready don't just hide the fact that you're a writer and you're <laughs> looking to work in in the industry cuz people can't read minds right <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a challenge, I think, of being support staff. You know what I mean? You can't put yourself too far out of step. You know what I mean? You can't walk in pretending like you're you're a showrunner. But then how do you show that you are ready? You know, and I think it's it comes down to just being yourself sometimes. Absolutely. Well, Erin, thank you so, so much for coming and, and talking to us and, and telling people how to, to try to make this happen since it's such an important step. And I'm looking forward to you to checking out Hawkeye when, uh, when that's available. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm just so excited for the rest of like what Marvel's going to do in the television space. And now we will look for Aaron's episode. Yes, very exciting. Cool. Well, thanks, thanks so much for coming. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. We are the Untitled Female Driven Podcast. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we are at Untitled Female. You can also email us at Untitled Female Driven Podcast at gmail.com. Some of you have left us such lovely reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. That's that's really kind of you. Any other listeners, if you feel like doing a, a nice thing today, please give us a rate and review. And please feel free to let us know what you would like to hear us talk about in the future. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.